Welcome to another episode of my loops are up here. This is Dr. Shivani Kamodia, and today I am here with my co-host, Dr. Priyanka Patel, and our guest, Dr. Sonia Chopra. And we are so honored to have her on as a guest today. She is an incredible endodontist, business owner, entrepreneur, mother, wife, and a mentor to both of us. So a little bit about Dr. Chopra. She not only became the first female endodontist in Charlotte, North Carolina, she became the first board-certified female endodontist, where she struggled to find a job out of residency, and she started her own practice. When she felt she was losing time with her family due to how many hours she was spending in the office, she became more intentional with her schedule. And when she realized she could save more teeth and improve people's lives by providing dentists and endodontists with the proper education, she took it upon herself to lead the charge. Now, on top of running her thriving practice, Sonia provides groundbreaking digital education and community support to general dentists and endodontists who want to up-level their technical skills, patient experience, and overall business models. Through her thoughtfully designed online course, eSchool, she is revolutionizing the reputation of endodontics through the simple, tangible lessons rooted in her own diverse experience. By empowering dentists to perform better root canals, empowering endodontists to run better practices, and empowering patients to make better health decisions, Sonia is paving a new way forward for the next generation of healthy, confident, empowered people, both in and out of the chair. Well, Sonia, you have such a powerful story. I cannot wait to dig in, and thank you so much for being guest here with us today. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting. I'm, I've, I've been waiting for this conversation for quite some time. Yeah. It's fun <laughs> that we all have little connections to each other through the dental world and through family friends. So I feel, and, and now that I've taken your course actually, so I've taken eSchool, I can vouch for, for the quality and I've learned so much. So I feel like I've spent a lot of time with you recently. <laughs> um, so I know we wanted to start off talking about a little bit about work-life balance. Tell us about your life as a practice owner. Yeah, so I would say um, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, my practice has grown tremendously over 12 years. I was a startup in 2008, and that was the year the economy tanked. And when I, I moved from South Florida, where I was doing my residency, to Charlotte, North Carolina, I didn't know a soul and nobody was hiring. I could either be unemployed or I could start my own practice. And just, you know, my personality is not the type to sit around and do nothing. So um, I went for it. I also had some associateships while I was living in New York City um, as a general dentist that really taught me that I knew that I wanted to be a practice owner and work for myself. So I did the startup thing in 2008. Um, it's been growing ever since. I had I got my first associate in 2012 and he bought it in 2015. And then in 2018, got my second associate. There was one other guy in between, but that, that wasn't a great match. So that didn't work out. Great guy, but just, you know, it was very mutual. Um, so grew to three doctors, went from three employees to about 15, and then went from zero kids to three kids. 
um, between 2010 and 2015 and been trying to juggle it all ever since. And it's been, it's been quite the learning experience. Um, I didn't really figure it out. I didn't start figuring it out until about 2016 when I would say I burned out and I hit rock bottom and then I, I knew I had to do something. So I'll start there and then I'll let you guys kind of lead me where you want to lead me. <laughs> Um, perfect. Actually, I have a question. Do you feel like you you actually brought up an interesting point? You said about 2016. So um, you started the practice in 2008. Um, so that's eight years into, you know, you having this practice. Do you feel like you developed your mastery of dentistry first and then kind of have started to develop the mastery of business ownership? Because I feel like that's kind of how it went for myself as well as a practice owner. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I couldn't I didn't really have the bandwidth to do it any other way. Like learning number one, how to be a specialist and learning how to be like the end of the road. Like if I messed up, like there was no, nothing else but an extraction for the patient. So that was a lot of stress and I didn't deal with stress very well. I still don't. Um, but I think I've learned to deal with time a little bit better. And I think that has been the answer to my success is really respecting my time, understanding what to do with my time. And that's been how I kind of overcame burnout. Um, and also like being pregnant three times while learning and mastering the clinical side was not easy. Like being super pregnant, like I went long, like I went 41 weeks almost every time. I always had to be induced. I was huge and doing a root canal on a number two when you're like that big, it, it was just, it was hard. I, and I was not the nicest person throughout that whole time. And then finally, when I was like, okay, I'm done having kids. And I had made that decision. And that was 2016. Cause I had my, my son in August of 2015. And then after the maternity leave, I kind of came back and I was like, okay, something has got to give, something has got to shift in order for this to keep going. I mean, that's so important that you recognize that because I feel like it's it's hard when it's your practice, your baby, it, your other baby versus your actually your live children, you know, and it's it's so hard to start to loosen the reins a little bit or figure out, okay, well, how do I redirect because what I'm doing, you know, isn't working. Um, and how do you feel like you know, I know obviously you, you decided you had your three kids, but you made the decision to add on team prior to those children. Um, so was it the stress of having additional team that ended up potentially being a product of burnout or was there something else that kind of kicked in? It was a lot of everything. So my first, my, my introduction to motherhood was not very smooth. My first baby had a few issues and I found out on day two of her life and she ended up having to have um, surgeries, like three surgeries by the time she was four months. And I had to, I didn't have coverage for my office and being a specialist and especially an endodontist who needs to be there for emergencies, um, people didn't like it. And I, I actually lost referring dentists because I had to, every time we were in the hospital, we were in there for a week and we had to travel to Cincinnati to 
um, to actually have these procedures because there's like one guy in the entire country who does it. And um, that, that was really tough. And I knew at that moment that I had to make a choice and that was lifestyle over money. And I picked lifestyle and I, knew, I started to make my hunt for that associate at that point. And anytime I start looking for an associate, it always takes me two years to find the right person, to find somebody who is very patient-centered, who is not just, oh, I gotta pay off my student loans. Like you've, they need to have the right mentality and the right core values in order to join my practice. And so I started to look and luckily I had um, a friend, actually my partner, we both went to the same endo residency and we had a common friend and we're at the AAE together, the endo meeting. And we, we went out to um, brunch one day and he's like, it was right before I was leaving. And my friend Gianni was like, oh, you got to meet this friend of mine. You guys would get along great. He's looking to move to Charlotte. And we met and we hit it off and that was it. And it was really great because again, he just, he had the same core values. And so he came to Charlotte, he fell in love with the city and then he joined my practice. And that wasn't easy for me. Um, I, that was a huge adaptation for me, like being able to share my space. Like us as dentists, we're such micromanagers. We're so, we need to be in control to have somebody else's name circled on a referral slip for the first time and it wasn't mine, it that broke my heart. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Like, and then I realized, okay, this is real. And I have to like, I have to be okay with this. I have to learn to share my space. I have to learn to compromise. I'm gonna have to learn to give and you know just meet somebody else halfway now. It was always my way. And so for me, that was a big change. That was a big shift. And I had to, I had to make a huge adjustment. Um, so that was lesson number one is being okay with all that change. And then lesson number two was being able to keep up with the growth. Like we grew fast. I don't, I don't even know how like we grew fast, but he joined my practice when um, I was having my second maternity leave. So it took from my first child in 2010 to my second child to find him or find the right person and implement that. Um, it took me two years. So 2012, um, July is when he joined my practice. But then from there, we just, we grew and I didn't know how to handle that growth. It's a good problem to have, but it, it was, that was another tough lesson. It's probably really hard to create a culture or maintain a culture that you've created on a small scale. And then when that expands and it's culture is really not a system, it's, it's more of a unsaid, those unsaid emotions and the way people are interacting. So that's a really complex thing to, to grow as well in the same direction. But I think it's really helpful that you guys came from the same background. I know my mm -hmm. sister is a practice owner as well and her partner, um, they went to dental school together and that's what they said was probably the best part about being partners is they have, they've learned from the same people that have the same practice mentality. And I think it also comes back to like family values of if this person was also valuing family time or lifestyle versus mm -hmm. just, just the wealth part. So 
Um, that's, that's great advice, great lessons that you learned. Yeah. I have a question about um, how you managed to create systems or manage that growth through training employees or growing your team. How do you keep that <laughs> culture consistent with everyone? So it's interesting because culture was something I never even heard of until 2016. I never even heard of it. <laughs> and now I feel like it's everywhere. Or maybe I'm just more aware of it. I don't know. But I, it wasn't even on my radar, which is crazy. And again, I wish like I could go back in time and just change it because I was just on this hamster wheel of like turnover. Like I was losing a lot of team members. And then, so it's funny because the day I found out I was pregnant with my second daughter, um, two of my team members gave their notice on the same exact day. I mean, I was already nauseous from the pregnancy <laughs> and I found that out and I was like, oh, no. oh this is not a good day. <laughs> um, and I only had three team members. So I was down to one. So that was, that was probably the toughest and have like realizing that, wow, if I just lost this one person now, it's just me. And then all, like, I didn't have systems. And that was the day that I like, that was my wake up call. Like, okay, you need to start documenting your systems and half of the stuff I didn't know because they were just doing it. Um, in retrospect now, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I, I couldn't say that in the moment, but now when I look back, I'm like, I don't think I would have done anything different, you know, if those two people were still with me. They had to leave in order for me to wake up and realize that I needed to change myself, my office, my culture, my systems, my everything. Um, and so that was the moment I started to document my systems and actually have systems. In fact, I think one of them quit because I lacked consistency. And I kind of said I was going to do things and then I would never do them. And man, am, am I totally different now. So I, it really sucked in the moment, but it was really needed. It's what my life needed because that incident is what catapulted the rest of my success, 100%. Yeah, I think what's interesting is like, so my associateship before I got, before I decided to open up my own practice was um, under somebody who had been with the Cartland, the corporate dentistry. So they set up a ton of systems before, you know? And so I like really learned and I was an associate under them, but essentially a practice owner. I mean, like not actually, but I was a solo practitioner at their, one of their locations. So I learned their systems but that's really similar to what I feel like a lot of practice owners, even some of my friends who started 10 years ago. Plus, it's such a common thing. It's like we're we are just taught to get out of dental school and there's like a couple different paths we can take, one of them being business ownership. And then they're like, good luck. <laughs> and they don't really, really give us the tools. Welcome to, to the to dark get, side. <laughs> yeah. And then they don't, they don't give us the tools. And so like, yeah. You are somebody that unfortunately and fortunately, you know, had to kind of go through all of that yeah. to get to yeah. where you are right now, you know? Because then my third employee came to me and said, I think I want to go to hygiene school, like literally two days later. And I was like, what? Like, I'm screwed. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, do me a favor and just everything you do, can you just type it up? 
And that's, that was the birth of my systems. And now I can't stop writing protocols. And my team is like, let me guess, you want a protocol for that. You want a protocol for this. And like, they know it now. They know that we document it. We, we agree on it. We train it. And then we let it, we let it be. And, and that's how it is. And, you know, sometimes the systems still break down you know, because people forget and then they change the system and you're like, wait, what happened to the system? But it's documented so we can always go back. And I think systems are really important because again, if you create that level of consistency, then you also create a level of autonomy amongst your team and they don't have to come and ask you every little question because they know that they can, if they need an, an answer, they can reference the protocol, get their answer and get back to work. So you would say that 2016 when all of that happened was when it went from being, you went from being more a manager or, or the boss to being the leader. Like you, did you feel a shift in your leadership oh, at that point? hundred percent. All the issues. I mean, it started with the top down, right? Mm -hmm. You know, after I read like the 20th exit interview, which was like, Dr. Chopra's a bitch. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I, I got to change, right? So that was when I went on like my personal development path. And I just started listening to podcasts, reading books, uh, just trying to figure out how to be a better leader because I wasn't a good one. And I went inward and I really started to fix myself. And I started to shift myself into somebody who instead was someone to fear rather so now I'm somebody who inspires wow. and I, I don't put just my goals first it's I want my team that I want their goals to be first yeah how would you um so one thing I struggle with as an associate is and Priyanka and I have talked about this um about the barrier or the boundary to set between myself and the team? And is that something that's necessary? Because I, I hear from a lot of other dentists saying, just make sure you, you know, there should be a boundary between what you share about your personal life, or you should not share everything. And so, mm -hmm. and I struggle with that because I I'm an oversharer. So yeah, I'm an open book yeah. and I, I really don't mind being vulnerable with my team. I don't mind like them seeing me sad or, you know, like me struggle or, you know, I really try to be open with them. I mean, it's, it's still not a perfect relationship. In fact, like we just had like our last coaching session, we took an all day um, and we do this quarterly. We take an entire day, we go off site and we just get vulnerable with each other. And that was yesterday. And it was, it was a really emotional time because we, our culture was breaking down a little bit. And so you'll kind of wax and wane through, you know, like happy periods and sad periods. And, you know, I, I don't mind being open and fully transparent with my team. And I, I think they do appreciate that. Your coaching sessions, are you looking to do, is it more like a team building or is it more, um, do you, are you finding an, finding a problem to work through or finding an obstacle, I should really call it, to work through each quarter? Or are you kind of doing it almost like a, you know, refresher slash reset button for your team? And has that allowed you guys to actually grow 
Um, yeah. Um, so it depends. It really depends on the environment, right? It depends on what we're going through as a team. So we don't ever have anything planned for the quarter. We have a coach and my coach actually does one-on-one -on -one calls with my team and the doctors. So she's, she's busy. Um, but that allows her, that allows the team to, to, to just, you know, get what they need to get off their chest, like even between the quarterly meetings. Does that make sense? And then my coach can pick up on when things are getting bad. And then, and then she actually recognizes the issue and the upset and then decides, okay, this is what we need to do at this all day team meeting which is incredible. Like the environment walking into the room yesterday was intense. It was tight. And then leaving, it was hugs and kisses, you know? So it was great. Like we definitely grew, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, just being the boss comes with like a negative label. And so people just automatically assume they have this perception. They create these stories in their head about their boss. And it's just like, that's not my intention. Don't make it my intention. And so like, I'm, I have, I typically have to break down that barrier um, in my team, especially with like new hires, because I'm like the bad cop. Because I, I, I made the protocols, right? So I'm the one who sticks to them where like the other doctors may be a little bit more lax, you know, just like parents, you got a good cop and you got a bad cop. So it's the same thing in my practice. And I'm definitely the bad cop because I, I'm the more stricter one. I'm like, okay, we made this protocol. We just, we hashed it out for an hour and a half. We're sticking to it, you know? So um, it's, it's definitely hard, but I think as time goes on and as people get to know me as a person, they start to make a shift. But in the beginning, I'm a little tough to get to know. So makes it hard. That's really unique that you have a team coach. I've never heard that before. Um, and that I like that. There's, life. Yeah, that, that's amazing that there's one on one because I think that can be toxic in a work environment is when people are unloading on coworkers and that's how drama starts. And so that's a really, really awesome um, idea. I've, I've never heard of that or thought of it. Yeah. Well, we also have team agreements. And we review our team agreements at every weekly meeting. We, we have a list of like 10, 11, 12. And wow. one, of them, one of them is no subgrouping, which means chit-chatting. And we see it every time that people try to start chit-chatting. We see what it does to the culture. And yeah. so we are quick to identify it and put the kibosh on it. Interesting. It reminds me, my yeah. husband and I started actually doing a like marriage exercises. And mm -hmm. one of them is to write a love agreement or a love mm -hmm. vision, which is kind of like, I mean, it's not exactly the same thing as, as wedding vows, but it's just kind of like what our vision is for our relationship. And I had never really thought about doing that for a personal relationship. You think about doing that for a, a, a work or a business, um, contract but not really not really a, a personal relationship and it's really interesting the things that can that can come up with that and maybe yeah. that can lead into our work-life balance part of well, like how do you balance your go ahead it's, it's funny you say that because my coach is my husband's practice coach 
And oh, so wow. she actually does couples. She does our couple call like once a week, once a month too. And we have marriage agreements. And anytime we start to get mad at each other, she's like, okay, let's bring back the marriage agreements. And then she's like, okay, are you in, in integrity with this, 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 mm-hmm. and this? And um, where did we just look at each other and we start to chuckle and then we realize, okay, we're totally out of alignment with our agreements. We need to get back on it. My husband and I actually have a marriage meeting once a week because otherwise we don't see each other and we don't connect with each other. And so like, it was so nice. Like last Friday, we just hung out <laughs> and it was great. Like the kids were at school and we just, we, we have a life vision. We took this course called Life Book. And we mapped out our entire life vision, like from the 12 categories of our life. And that's amazing. It's amazing. And so now we're going back to rework it. I'm actually taking Lifebook Mastery right now so that I can create the action steps and the strategies to achieve the life vision. So. Yeah. I mean, I think it bleeds into what you're talking about, like, you know, these subgroups, even just like what you do with your personal life, subgrouping can lead to toxicity or falling off of these agreements can lead to those, you know, mm-hmm. bad habits, same thing, even in your relationship, right. As you've kind of discussed, like, yeah. And making sure you guys are having your meetings. I, I my husband and I love our meetings. We also have marriage meetings and I think it's great. Yeah. Um, Cause it just like for us, especially like being two business owners also, like we just, sometimes it's just like, we disconnect from each other and we're like, okay, wait a minute. We got to come back together. Yeah. You know, we, we call ours laundry room sessions. Like we'll go into the laundry room, shut the door, just jump on the, the washer and the dryer, just sit on top and have a glass of wine and just chat. <laughs> I love that. I feel like these are the things that I, I mean, we married, so we're just about to celebrate our first year anniversary. And these are things that I didn't know happened in marriage before. So for other new newlyweds like myself, I feel like this is, this is the part of womanhood or marriage that we yeah. don't really talk about a lot. And how do you create like we even have a playlist oh I love that (laughs) yeah like how do you create those moments if you're both working full-time if you do have a family I I feel like finding those those intimate moments just to to talk and to reconnect on and reevaluate what your goals and your vision are so both of you have a weekly time that you set aside for that it sounds like yeah Yep. So every Friday morning we get up, we take the kids to school, we drop them off at 830, we come back, we make our coffee, and then we talk for at least an hour. Sometimes it runs longer. Um, we, We have been bad in the past about committing to that time. And so now we're like, we're super serious about it. So, um, it's, it's really important because again, when you have three kids, like if I try to even hug or kiss my husband, like my kids break us up. So, like there's no, there's, it's hard to find time for intimacy. And, you know, we do make, we, well, before COVID, we made it, we were, we were very good about a date night a week and also traveling just us somewhere. And the last couple years, we've been doing these trips for Mind Valley called, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of AFEST. And so it's like, if you can imagine like personal growth, like a Tony Robbins 
conference meets Burning Man, mush those two together. And it's just like so much fun. And we do that together. And so we get to connect on a totally different level. And then again, just keep working on our life vision together. That's totally in my alley. So Tony Robbins combined with the Burning Man type event. Wow. I gotta look <laughs> yeah. into that. That's so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> I have to also thank you for um, your book recommendation, The 5am Club. Um, I was just talking about this again with Priyanka and how I'm 6am club Mm. now and uh, (laughs) just having that extra, it's like an hour and a half I have to myself in the morning. It has been really life-changing and so I can imagine, I'm very grateful that I have the time to build this into my schedule now before having a family and before having kids and being a practice owner. So it's, I can imagine probably sacred time to you. And that helps with your work-life balance. Yes, I need it. I, I got a little off track these past couple months because it just got crazy busy, but um, I'm going back to that. And I already have like my, my day schedule, like ready, like five to seven, I'm with myself. I meditate, work out, and I always learn something, you know, those three things that Robin Sharma tells you to do in the morning. But I, I think I need 30 minutes, 30 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, and then if I have a 10 minute snooze that gives me the two hours and then I can get my kids ready from seven to eight, drop them off eight to eight fifteen, come back, make my coffee, get to work 9am when I'm not with my patients. So one of the things that I realized again, that I needed to do was to really be smart about my time. And I wasn't a very good clinician and manager at the same time that's when I realized I got mean. And so I decided to split it up completely. And these are my days for patient care. And these are my days for admin. So every child that I added, I dropped a clinical day. And so then I went to three days a week in the end, but then I was like, well, three, eight hour days is the same thing as two 12 hour days. So then that's what I currently do is I work Monday and Tuesday, seven to seven, and I'm done. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm with my family. I get to have self-care time and I get to work on my passion, which is what really makes me happy. And and that's e-school. So when did you start to shift? I I think that's amazing. I did about your schedule, actually. That's a, you're talking about creating essentially what you have done is create your balance you know and I think that's what people really struggle with is they feel pulled towards their business and it's like oh the more I leave my business is it going to be as successful and you know obviously we've talked about how you've built a trusting team when did you start to shift like yes I know with your kids you said you dropped a day but when did you start to feel comfortable or was that schedule kind of forced upon you based off your kids' schedule, to be honest? Or did you actively make the decision? You're like, okay, well, the kids will need me for this time. So, or I want to be home. I should say that for this amount of time. So that means that I'm comfortable working from X hour to X hour. And then that's just what it's going to have to be. Yeah. Again, the trigger for that was losing my nanny abruptly. She was like, oh, by the way, um, I'm going to be doing something else in four days. I was like, oh, that's great. And that's when I realized like, okay, I can't keep working like this. Like this is not going to work. 
And, you know, you know, we all know that dentistry is just physically demanding, like our bodies almost ache at the end of the day. And I was like, I'm so done by the time I come home on these days that why don't I just smush all of it into two days and let me be useless when I come home, just two days. <laughs> and then the other days I can actually have energy for my kids. And so I looked at it and I think a lot of people, their fear is that they're going to drop production. And what's interesting is that I produce more in my two twelves than I did in five days, which is crazy because I just looked at things. I got smart. I'm like, why am I taking all this insurance? Why am I writing all this off? Like, let's get rid of this. And all of a sudden my, like my cost per procedure goes up. Right. And I don't have to work as hard. And then I looked at my scheduling template and I'm like, okay, why don't I, what am I doing? Like, what, this is not efficient. And then I just reorganized my schedule and all of a sudden, bam, I did not lose any production. Like when I made that choice of lifestyle over money, that nothing happened to the money, you know? And then when I made the shift into um, less days and I, thought of my work schedule in hours, that's when like that shift happened. And again, I didn't lose any money. It's crazy. And now like, it's funny because now I'm trying to hire another doctor. And I, when I tell them, oh yeah, we're going to give you 36 hours in three days, as opposed to four days, they're like, huh? You know, like they don't schedule. I know they don't. They don't want. And when I tell them, like they don't, they don't take it because they want. They want five days a week, and they think five days a week is more money. And I'm like, oh god, like that's not true. Like, and so I keep losing these potential associates to other practices because I can't give them five days. Um. Yeah. Wow. You're not the first person I've heard that. I mean, I think it's it's quite common to hear that the more you cut back, actually the more productive yeah. you become in yeah. those days. And I, I agree. I think doing longer hours because I ha- I feel that same way. There is there is an emotional drain from putting yourself out yeah. there with patients. And it's so you mentioned e school. Do you want to talk about yeah. that a little bit? Tell us, so for people who aren't familiar with what eSchool is, give us a little synopsis of how you got inspired and what the program is. So eSchool is kind of a product of burnout. <laughs> it is realizing that, you know, I, I had more in me than just the four walls of my practice and I wanted to do more. Um, there's a little bit of a backstory. It all goes back to like my own dental story as a patient and um, I was born without eight teeth. I have like all the, the ones that you're congenitally missing. Like that's me, I'm the textbook like patient. Um, so when I was going to college, uh, my mom was like, you're gonna need to eat. You know, this is 1995 by the way. Okay, so I'm, I'm missing my laterals, I'm, uh, maxillary laterals. I'm missing my mandibular second bicuspids and my whizzies, which is not a big deal, right? So maybe you can just say four teeth I was missing. I just didn't have to get my wisdom teeth extracted. So um, my mom wanted to restore the bottom. So I had a full complement of teeth. Um, 
And then, so I got bridges on both sides because again, it's 1995. Implants weren't like a big thing back then. And I honestly, I don't think my dentist knew what they were now that I think about it. <laughs> so um, I got two bridges. And then right after I started to have a toothache on the left side and it was kind of vague. It wasn't localized. Couldn't figure out where it was coming from. Kept on going back to my dentist. Couldn't see anything. Couldn't see anything. And then like, this was like over nine months, like this intermittent pain. And then finally, like I just swelled up. Like it was huge. I was like a chipmunk and he was like, Oh, she needs to get this tooth out. So she, he sent me to the oral surgeon, got my bridge sectioned and they took out my tooth. I don't know what an endodontist is at this point. And then the anesthesia wears off and I still have my toothache. They took out the wrong tooth. So for me, diagnosis is such a big thing. And Shivani, maybe that makes sense to you now after being through e-school because I'm Absolutely. like, you can't, one. <laughs> you can't get through module one until like, you know, you've really got to understand it. Um, and so I always wanted to understand my story. Like my mom and my brother are both physicians. And so medicine was always really deep in our family. Um, but looking at my mom, she's an anesthesiologist. She never made my dance recitals. Like she was always busy. I was like, I do not want that lifestyle. And I knew that from a very young age. So I was always at the dentist. I figured why not go to dental school? So I, I got into dental school. And then when I was in dental school, I like was just so intrigued by endo and I really wanted to figure out what happened to me. Eventually I ended up going to see an endodontist in that whole episode and he did a root canal on the culprit tooth, but the, how he handled me and how he educated me through the entire process was so pivotal for me. And like, I was just, I just emulate him still to this day and how I educate my patients and everything. And so I became an endodontist, I think, because of all that. My endodontist saved my life. I mean, I, I was septic. Like I had a fever from my tooth. I, I had a full-on cellulitis. Like you could not see the border of my chin. I, it was like bored hard. It was bad because it, it was just an ongoing saga for nine months. I, I ended up seeing like a neurologist and like all these different doctors because they thought I had trigeminal neuralgia. I'm like... Ugh, it was bad. Anyway, wow. so I finally decide on endo. I gave general dentistry a shot. I was a GP. I worked in Manhattan for a few years. I had nine different associateships. Like I couldn't find a full-time gig. I had to like do a day in Brooklyn, do a day in Manhattan, do a day in Queens. Like I was all over the city, like <laughs> taking every subway train everywhere. And I hated it. It was horrible. And then finally I got like a full-time gig for a while. And then I was like, yeah, let me, I, I, this is just not what I want. I really want to just be good at one thing. And I applied to endo and I got in and I was like, great, this is it. And did my residency, had a great time, moved to South Florida for that. Then, you know, I had met my, um, my husband. Now we did our GPR together in Brooklyn, New York. And then um, he moved to Charlotte and I moved to Florida to do my residency. And in that time he proposed. So then I moved to Charlotte after and I didn't, didn't know anybody and started my own practice. And um, it's interesting because 
my same tooth story I would see in my patients every day so many years later. And so what that told me is that there's a problem with the education system. And it's really, it's nobody's fault. It's just, there's so much to learn in dentistry and dentistry is changing so much every year. Um, but doing four root canals to graduate, it's just not enough. And for me, I feel like the basis of dentistry is endo because like we're diagnosing pain every single day. And if we really don't understand it, that that's a problem. So I knew that there had to be something else. And all the courses that I saw out there were just put on by companies that wanted to push their product. And that really bothered me because they weren't teaching it. Who was teaching it? The reps were teaching it. They weren't teaching proper endo. Because if you think about it, like doing the root canal is just a small piece of endo. You know, there's diagnosis, there's pain management, there's how to manage cracked teeth, vertical root fractures, trauma, resorption, cone beam. And we haven't even gotten to the root canal like steps yet. And if you think about it, like 80% of the root canals are done by general dentists. And I used to be that endodontist who was like, oh, GPs should never do endo. And then I started to listen, you know, there's general dentists who are in rural areas that don't have access to an endo. There are people who their, G, their specialist is booked out three weeks and they can't get their patient in. And, or it's Friday afternoon and they need to know how to get this patient out of pain because there's no place for these people to go. Or maybe they're an associate in corporate and they're expected to do it, you know? And some people feel shame and not knowing how to do it. And so I felt like it, there, was, there was a real need for this. And the only thing that drove me was really just helping the patients. If I can help the, the dentist, then I know that I'm helping patients like me not be in situations like that. Um, and that was really, really my driving force. I mean, in a perfect world, yeah, maybe there will be more specialists out there, like in, like in medicine, you know, you graduate from med school and you pick a specialty track and you do it. And so maybe there would be more specialists in the world, but that's not going to happen. So the best thing we can do is to create another path for people to learn even more. Yeah, actually, it's funny, you, funny, not aha, but kind of, but now it kind of respect, but like, I've had three patients in the last six weeks who went through exactly what you went through. And one of them, I just happened to pick up the phone and she is crying on the phone. And she said, I've been to my general dentist and she got sent to a neurologist, my general neurologist. I mean, literally the exact same story you've described aside from the swelling for her. So I just, I, at the time I had not met her and I wanted to get her in as soon as possible. So I did refer her right away because I was like, well, my she sent me the x-ray and I couldn't see anything on just what she had sent me. So I was like, okay, well, I don't have the ability to do a three-dimensional scan. So I sent her out to an endodontist. But just to be able to gain the value that you are looking to provide to us as general dentists I mean, that could go so far because I had another situation where a feeling of mine just, you know, I was the, the it, 
you know, the nerve flared up and um, it was a little bit deep. And then she kind of went through this situation where all of a sudden the tooth turned necrotic and then she ended up with a large swelling. And I didn't know how to, you know, proceed. So it, these in, I'm 10 years out and I, for the most part, I think I, I, I can diagnose pretty decently, but there's still like one of those things is you don't know what you don't know. And having something like what you're, you know, you're presenting is so valuable, even to someone like myself who does molar root canals and searches her hardest for MB2 all the time. <laughs> and but like, no how many times I said that taking this course, I was like, man, I had no idea what I didn't know. Like, there's no way for me to know all of this. And I think what your program did for me, it, I, I felt like an imposter a little bit with endo and now I feel empowered. Not that there, I know everything. There's absolutely no way, but I feel like I have the vocabulary and the verbiage to communicate to patients, to communicate with my specialists and just the confidence to speak with patients without saying, kind of backtracking on what I said before or not being sure in what I'm saying. And I think the patients feel so much more comfortable. So yeah, I, I, I still feel like I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> and I, and I do think maybe if I were to ever go back and do a specialty, maybe because of you and it would be it. So it's I think so you probably, much fun. It's yeah. so much fun. <laughs> yeah. I think um, you probably how- changed so many general dentist lives with, with what you're providing in patients. So it's incredible. Thank you. How many sessions or how many years have you been doing the e-school for? So I launched it um, March of 2019. So it's it's only been really a year and a half, um, but it's been incredible how many people have already, like there's already been several hundred people that have gone through the course. There's a few ways to take it. You can either like do it independently and just take the content and do it on your own, or you could do it with coaching with me. Um, and so not as many people sign up for the coaching, they always kind of want the flash sale and they go with the DIY and stuff, but, uh, the coaching like students, they really, they go to another level and I can see it every week. We're building upon the previous week and I, I see the growth. I mean, you can see how their what their cases are looking like in the Facebook group. And I can, I can even hear the, the difference in their nomenclature by the end of the eight weeks. It's really, it's really, um, it's kind of awesome. I'm really happy I did it. I can't believe I did it. There was a lot of imposter syndrome in the beginning. Like, who am I? Like, who's going to listen to me? Like, I'm just this chick. Only dudes do this in endo. You know, there was a lot of that in the beginning, but you know, I, it took me about eight months to get over that and then realize that like, yes, this is what I was meant to do. So would you say how much time between when you first had the inspiration to when you started taking action to when you were able to have your first class? How much time? So January of 2016, I was reading a book by Danielle Laporte called the fire starter sessions and that's where I felt it like, like inside me, like there is something here. What is it? What is it? And um, my really good friend, she's the food babe. Um, and so she kind of did the same thing in the food industry, right? Like she was just a consultant at her job. And then she decided to like 
you know, go up against Chick-fil-A and get the antibiotics out of the chicken and like Subway and get the dough conditioner out of the bread. And like, like she's, she just kind of like, I just watched her do this. I'm like, wait, if she can do all this crazy stuff in the food industry, like, let me do something in the dental industry. And she was actually the one who told me to read the book. She's like, you just read this book and then like, it'll all come to you. And I'm like, okay. And that's exactly what happened. So that was January of 2016. Um, I started to kind of think of everything um, at that moment. And then it was really 2017 when I started to put it together and I started to figure out, okay, what's the vision for this? What's the plan? Now, remember, I also had three small kids at the same time. So everything I did, I would wake up at like five in the morning until nine in the morning. That was the only window of time I had to work on this. So I started typing. I started writing my scripts. I literally just wrote, like I typed up a textbook. So all of the stuff came out and then I started writing blogs and then I launched my website on my birthday in 2017. Um, so December 18, 2017, I, I launched the blog and then I had all my scripts. I had everything written. Now I just had to figure out how to record it. <laughs> that was a challenge. So figured that out, recorded it, got it recorded, but then my videographer like kind of quit on me. So I had all this footage and I didn't have anything to, I didn't know what to do with it. So then I had to find somebody to edit it. And then I got that to happen. And that just took a lot longer than I anticipated. Um, and I should have started a lot sooner, but it's okay. And I was finally ready to launch March, 2019. So um, I just had to figure out things like editing, sound, lighting, all the stuff that I don't know how to deal with. And that kind of put me behind. But I love the fact that I was so scrappy through the whole process. Like I took like a desk that I had in the back of my office and pulled it into my reception and I made my own little set. And then I had like my little makeup artist come and do my hair and makeup. It was just, it was funny, um, but it worked. Yeah, it that's. Worked. That's awesome to hear the timeline of it. And I, in my view, it seems very fast that all of that happened, that you really hustled and worked really hard to make it, to make it come into fruition. I don't think, I think a lot of people come to a point in their career and maybe I'm coming to that sooner than other general dentists of like begging the question of what's next of, okay, well, I, there's probably something greater for me to accomplish in life. And what's my why? What, what, what am I really, what's my purpose? What am I here for? And there can be, I'm having so many ideas. I have these big audacious dreams and goals. And I feel sometimes paralyzed. Of, I don't know how I move forward, how I take that next step. And it seems like the progress is really slow sometimes. And now I can reflect back and see where I was six months ago or a year ago, but I think it's it's refreshing to hear in in real life how a success story like yours happens because it does show that it's gonna take a couple years. It's gonna take time. It's gonna take being scrappy and innovative and doing things. Waking up at yeah. five a.m. I gotta wake up an hour <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's good to know the real the real deal behind it. it it's it's yeah. kind of crazy. I still now that I look back at it, I'm like, how in the world did I do that? But I honestly think I was just in flow. I was literally yeah. in flow in front of my computer, 
just doing my passion. It didn't feel like work. It, I, I wanted to get up at five and I wanted to get to my computer and I wanted to finish this project. And something about me is that like, and I think I'm just like a specialist through and through, like I pick one thing and I do it and I just keep going with that one thing where my husband is different. He's got like 10 different ideas and they're all brilliant, but then he doesn't really work on any one of them, you know, cause he's just, he keeps creating these amazing ideas. Um, for me, I'm like, okay, I have this one thing and I'm just going to make it as good as I can make it. And that's it. That's why I couldn't do general dentistry either. Cause I just needed one thing. <laughs> what would your advice be to someone who has this like stroke of inspiration who has a really big goal and they're really passionate about it but they just don't know how to take that next step what would you what would your advice b minus roll it out as a b minus don't try to get the a plus roll it out as a b minus it's going to look like an a plus to everybody else may not look like an a plus to you roll it out as a b minus and just get it out into the world and then just fix it along the way. Improve it as you get people to use it and listen to their feedback. You know, B minus, beta test it, and then keep improving it and just keep tweaking it along the way. Everything is gonna grow, like eSchool grew, like I've added videos to it, I've added, you know, and I can keep adding to it. And I love the fact that I can do that. Like, oh, here I have this idea and this lecture, I can just put it in and that's okay. It's okay for your project to keep evolving. It does not have to be perfect when you first launch it. So, so just do it. The moment I started to put myself out there is when everything started to change for me. So my rule is B minus. I love that. It's so like counterintuitive to what, <laughs> I mean, how we've achieved what we've achieved, right? Like we've all been so used to being like, top of the class and then yeah. on top of that and that. So, I mean, I think that's amazing advice. Um, I mean, really B minus is great because it allows you to, like you said, just put your vision out there and. And it can, can, you know, it can grow. Yeah, it can grow. This has been so amazing. I would have to say it, I, you know, just reflecting back as we're talking through this whole conversation and, there's just been so, so many amazing, you know, pieces of wisdom you've offered and just, you know, your experience. Um, I know I really appreciate it. And I'm sure Shivani does as well. Um, and you've kind of really inspired me. I mean, I'm X amount of years out, I'm 10 years out of school and only a few years out into like, you know, marriage and now a future, you know, a future with my family, you know, and we're just expanding our family. And I feel newly invigorated. I should say, having this conversation because I was at the point or I have been feeling like I'm at the point that you were in 2016. And um, to see you having, you know, worked past this and where you are and how, I mean, you're just exuding so much positivity and energy as you're speaking. And I just, you know, like I said, like I feel really newly inspired that, you know, there is a point where you're going to feel burnt out and that's okay. And, and what you'll see at the end though, as you work through it is you can achieve what you've always wanted, which is, you know, you personally, you know, taking on your passion project and then also 
achieving, you know, the practice that you're looking for as well. And of course, home life. And that's one of the most important things. So thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you so much for having me here. I feel like I could talk to you guys for another like three hours. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I do have to say thank you as well as I see you as a mentor and such a, so, I have so much respect for you. And I think it's rare to have these raw conversations. Um, and I, I appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing those intimate details about your life and your work. And I think it makes, makes it seem more achievable. <laughs> and, and you are a really um, awesome mentor for a lot of other women out there. So thank you for being on the show. Thank tonight. you so much for having me, ladies.